I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. This is a parable that Jesus gave. And I want you to read it. We're going to read most of this parable, not every, every verse of it, but a large portion of it. So if you would turn to Matthew chapter 10, we're going to start reading in verse 1. I'm sorry, Matthew 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by a parable, or by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which had a marriage for his son. And he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. And they made light of it, and went their ways, and one to his farm, and another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, The wedding is ready. But they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as you shall find, bid them to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. We're going to stop right there. There are a lot of things that can be taught, spiritual truths from this parable. A parable is a parable. And so you can only take a parable so far. I think we get in trouble when we try to carry it too far. But there are some obvious truths that all would agree upon that the Lord is trying to convey in this parable. A parable is a natural illustration to convey or teach a spiritual truth. In this sense, it's a king and a wedding, a marriage for his son and those that he's invited. Amen. And so there's a, a very similar parable. It's not the same parable. It's a similar parable. There's a similar parable in Luke chapter 14. It's not the same one. In that one, it was just a certain man had a feast. In this one, it's a king who's having a, a marriage for his son. It's not exactly. They're very similar, but it's not the same parable. They're not given at the same time. The one in Luke was given in a Pharisee's house where Jesus was having dinner. In uh, the one given, and it was much earlier. This one in Matthew was later in his life and later in his ministry, very soon before he went to the cross, the one we just read. And it was actually spoken in the temple, this parable that he gave. Now, having said that, is one of the clear truths from this parable, and we're going we're to really get into it here in just a moment, but one thought this morning that I believe the Lord has for us. I think it certainly speaks of Israel and their rejection of Christ. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But I don't think it's improper to take this parable. Yes, it speaks about Israel's rejection of the Lord. He came unto his own, his own received him not. When they were bidden, they didn't come. They were the ones warned and, and invited, so to speak, and, and they didn't come. But I think it would also speak of anybody that is invited to come to Christ and rejects the Lord, okay, rejects his bidding. So in the parable, the king would be the father, the king's son would be Jesus, and those that are, uh, those servants of his could either be the prophets, 
or the, the church even inviting people to Christ. Some have even said the Holy Spirit, you know, through the church. So you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the Spirit wooing people and inviting people to come to Christ. But here's the point for our, one thought for our message today. The king had made ready all things. He says that in the parable. He says all things were ready for the marriage feast of his son. All things were prepared. And the invitation was to come unto the marriage. Okay? Verse 4. Again, he sent forth uh, servants saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my foundlings are killed. All things are ready. Come unto the marriage. So the king prepared the feast. He prepared for the marriage of his son. And he had invited guests. Okay? Now, in a Hebrew culture... As I was studying this, there was any time there was a really big event, like a marriage would certainly fall in that category, a really big event, there was a general invitation sent out to the guest, even with no date set in mind. It would be like, hey, my, my son's engaged, okay, uh, they're getting married, I want to invite you, okay? And so even though there was no date set, they, were already, no, they already knew about it. It was a, an, a joyous occasion. It was something exciting. My son's going to get married. When he gets married, I want you to come. Okay? Then there was a second invitation sent out. All things are ready. It's time. Okay? It's time. No more delay. My son's getting married, and I want you to come. The invitation. And so the king greatly desired for all those that he invited to come, to come to his son's marriage. He sent his servants out to tell them, that all things are ready, the time's come. Okay, just a simple truth. A lot of things, as I said, we could learn from this parable. The Lord gave me one thought for us today. He said, sent, he sent his servants out to tell him, all those that had previously been bidden and invited to tell them all things are ready, it's time to come now. What was the response? Look at verse 3. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to, to the wedding. And what does it say? They would not come. Very simple thought there, but they would not come. Man has a free will. We've talked about it a lot lately. We've talked about it in our study on Timothy, 1 Timothy on Wednesday nights. Man has a free will. We're not machines. We're not robots. They were invited. If the parable is teaching what we believe is commonly believed from this parable, that it was an invitation, let's say, for Israel to come to their Messiah and an invitation for all lost men to come to Christ. All things were ready. All things were prepared. And it says they would not come. Praise God, some come. Amen. Praise God, you came. But this is just a picture in general. This is rebellion. This is pride on the part of man. This is self-will. This is uh, stubbornness. They would not come. What does Jesus say? And I was just reading it this morning. In my reading, when, when he, Jesus went and wept, he had just spent the whole chapter 23 of Matthew, which is the next chapter, saying, Woe unto you Pharisees and scribes, hypocrites. Woe unto you. A whole chapter was about their hypocritical nature. They lay burdens on men which are hard to bear, but they with themselves, you know, one finger won't, won't lift one finger to help bear a burden. They were hypocrites, okay? And at the end of that, he's weeping, over Jerusalem, it says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou which killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee. How often would I 
have gathered you to your children together as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. What is he saying? He's saying he did everything. What more could the Lord do than he has been done? And so he's weeping over Jerusalem because at that time, I said this is close, this parable is given close to his crucifixion. He spoke that in the temple. And he's, without question, this speaks about Israel, rejection of the Lord. But to me, it speaks of the stubbornness of man and the spiritual darkness that results from that. There, there's, men, men are lost and blinded to sin, but then when they're stubborn on top of that and refuse the truth on top of that, then it, it makes it that much worse. Their foolish hearts are darkened. It's, I'll just read this. But, but we speak, I'm reading this, I'm, I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 2, but we speak the hidden wisdom of God, which God ordained, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's a, it's a hardness and a blindness and then that multiplies itself when the truth comes and the light comes and they say, we don't want that. Then it's that much worse, okay? Lost man's a lost man, but some, when the light is, is shown upon them and revealed to them, they desire it. I want out of this darkness, right? And some say, we want to kill him. They crucified the Lord of glory. I know he died for our sins, but he suffered at the hands of the Jews. They delivered him over to Pontius Pilate. And so it shows to me the stubbornness. stubbornness. They sent his servants out to say, come, and they said they would not come. Okay, they would not come. Listen, they weren't indifferent. I'm sorry, they, they, it was not that they were ignorant of what was going on. They knew about it. As I said, in the Jewish culture, they were invited once. And now the times come and servants come to them personally and invite them. They weren't ignorant of the wedding of the, man, of the king's son. They, they weren't uh, uninvited. They were uninterested. And there's a big difference. They, were, they weren't uninvited. They were uninterested. They were unwilling. And they just stayed in their, their hardness of heart. And I think about, you know, I, I don't follow this at all, but uh, when... One of the royal family gets married. I can remember back when Diana, okay, got married to Prince Charles at that time. I think they said it was the most watched event ever in the history of the, the planet. You know, if you think a lot of people watch Super Bowls or whatever, more people viewed that. And I think what an honor some would have considered it to be actually invited to that. You watched it on TV, but I actually got invited to this. I was there, okay? People would consider that such an honor. And here the king's son is, is getting married, and these people are invited. They weren't uninvited. They were just indifferent. They were uninterested in it. And it's a sad picture to me of the stubbornness of man's heart. The, the wedding of the king's son and their invitation by that king to be there meant nothing to them. It meant nothing to them. What is that to us? You see to that. That's what the Pharisees told Judas after he felt bad about uh, betraying Jesus. What is that silver to us? We don't care about that. And I think what a sobering picture of the pride and hard-heartedness of men.
just in general, yes, Israel. Okay, I don't want you to think I don't understand the parable. It is speaking primarily to Israel, but still it shows the hard-heartedness of man. It shows it's a, it's a complete disregard and disrespect for the king and his son. And they're basically their idea was we have more important things to do. That's not important to us. Hard-heartedness, not just for Israel. They were indifferent to the first invitation. And by the second invitation, if we kept reading, it, it says that in verse 6, and the remnant, this is the second time, the remnant took his servants and, and treated them spitefully and slew them. They were indifferent at the first invitation. They would not come. By the second invitation, they were hostile. They were angry. They actually took the king's servants and killed them. They were inviting them. So picture that. That could be a persecution of the church. That certainly be a picture of the, the way that the Jewish people killed the prophets that were sent to them, right? The righteous blood from Abel to Zacharias, that all the blood of the prophets may come on this generation that rejected Christ. And so it's a grieving of the Holy Spirit, to say the least. It is a rejection and a persecution of the people of God and the prophets of God. And so let's, what was their response? Okay, in other words, what was their, their reason? Let's see what happened when they were invited to this most greatest honor, one of the greatest honors they could have, an invitation to the king's son's wedding. Why didn't they come? Look at verse 5. They made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm and another to his merchandise. Okay, they made light of it. Have y'all ever met anybody in your life that has made light of the things of God? Absolutely. We've met people, people that we've witnessed to. Maybe at one time before we knew Christ, we might have made light of the things of God. TV shows, programs, comedians, they make light of the things of God. What does it mean to make light of it? This, this, the people that were bidden, that were invited, they made light of it. And that means, literally means to be careless, to not regard, to be negligent, or to neglect. They were just careless with it. It was, it was nothing to them. It just absolutely meant nothing to them. The king didn't make light of it, did he? It was important to him. It was a joyful and joyous occasion. He didn't make light of it. It was important to him, but the people made light of it. The men who were bidden didn't come, and they had a complete disregard for it. And then it says they went their ways. They went their ways. Again, what a sad picture and a true picture of lost, stubborn man. It's basically love is just hounding men down. The love of the Lord is hounding men down trying to get them to turn to him for their good. He's hounding them down. He, he's re, he's, he invited them and, and then he invited them again. They sent service out and invited him. He's doing what he can to bring men to himself. They made light of it. And the Bible says in a, in a, a pre-Messianic passage, one of the most famous from Isaiah 53, where, where it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All have gone astray. The iniquity of all is placed on Christ. But it's just a picture. And what does it say in the parable that Jesus gave? They made light of it 
and they went their own ways. Some to his farm, some to their farms, another to his merchandise. Well, the Bible says that, the Bible says, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, that lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let's put it in context. They're invited to the king's son's wedding. What an honor. To come to, that's coming to Christ is really what it is. They made light of it. They would not come. They made light of it. And what do they turn to instead? What do they prefer instead? It says some to their farm, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. The Lord actually says these, these weren't worthy. He ended up saying later, he told his servant, they came back and said, Lord, we, we invited them. They wouldn't come. They made light of it. And then they sent out more and they killed those servants. And the, the king says, oh, those, those people that were invited weren't worthy. He sent back out and, and they ended up compelling people that were not originally invited. Again, I think as a Jewish nation rejecting Christ and the gospel coming to the Gentiles, certainly that is a picture that is there. But still, the king said they, those that were bidden weren't worthy. That means they weren't suitable. They weren't deserving. And so, uh, because the, the Lord desires for people when they come to him, the only way to come to him is to leave everything else behind. But they made light of it. They weren't uninvited. They were just uninterested. They made light of it. They would not. And they turned to something that they preferred. And it was temporal things. They turned one to his farm, another to his merchandise. They turned to those things. And I think about Peter, for example. In the Bible, Peter had his, his faults. He had his sins. He never claimed to be a sin, sinless man. And even after he was a follower of the Lord, he, he had sins that the Lord rebuked him for. But he did follow Jesus with all of his heart. He said, Lord, Lord, we've left all to follow you. He says, you sure have, Peter. And here's the reward you're going to have in this life and in the life to come. But that's a picture of a disciple. But these would not come. They made light of it. And it's interesting. It speaks here not of going to get, uh, they turned not to say drunkenness or idolatry or something like this. It says one turned to his farm and another to his merchandise. Now, these activities and these places and these things and pursuits were not uh, sinful in and of themselves. And I know that you know this, but it needs to be, God would have us to hear it this morning. Those things that they turned to, to them, were more important than answering the invitation of the king to come. Come to my house, come to my son's wedding, come to me, and you're invited. Those things were more important to them. They weren't in and of themselves wicked. They weren't morally depraved, a farm and merchandise and so forth. They simply were carnal. They simply were temporal. They're not unimportant, but they're simply not the most important. They're not unimportant. The Lord 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, your, fa your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. We have need of things, farms and merchandise. He knows that. But he still says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. They weren't unimportant. They're just not the most important, not by a long shot. They're not even close to being the most important. They weren't sinful. They were just carnal and temporal. And I want to say this this morning, and I feel like I'm preaching the choir, but the Lord would have me to say it anyway. Whatever, whatever a man puts ahead of Christ is sin. Whatever a man puts ahead of Christ is an idol, though you might not bow to it down to a graven image or a statue. Whatever a man puts ahead of Christ will send him to hell. It will keep him from eternal life and from the heaven that the Lord has for those that know him. Whatever a man puts ahead of knowing Christ, of being born again of his spirit, whatever man puts ahead of loving the Lord and serving the Lord and fellowshipping with the Lord and obeying God and following Christ with your whole heart or one's whole heart and life, that thing is sin. That thing is sin. We need to be careful. We need to be careful, even, even as Christians. Whatever we put ahead of following the Lord to the nth degree, infinitely, whatever we would put ahead and that would stop us from doing so, from loving God, from praying, from being all in with Jesus, whatever that thing is, will, is an idol and is, will be and is a stumbling block to us, even if it is a good thing. Even if it is family, even if it is good, clean fun. I know we live in an age, and I, I hadn't intended to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. We live in an age where, where people are very uh, desirous to spend time with family, which is a good thing, and they will... They will chase uh, little league ball games and and cheerleading events and stuff like this to the degree where it is taken away from Christ and following Christ and knowing the Lord. It is a curse. It's not a blessing. Playing sports is not a curse. I said it. My boys played sports. I understand that there is a way that sports can be done that's honoring to the Lord or sports or whatever the activity may be. And there's a way where it's gone too far and you have to know it. You have to know the difference and you have to put first things first because it can become an idol. Even good, clean family fun can become an idol and a stumbling block. Know that you know that you know. I'm not your judge on that. I'm simply saying know that you know. And know that you're being honest with yourself and with the Lord. And what place and priority activities and other things take. It could be fishing. It could be golf. It could be work. It could be anything. Anything that takes the place. And, and we use an excuse for it. It's good, clean fun. It's not a sin. Well, it's a sin for you. If you take it that far, it is a sin. You understand what I'm saying? It would be a sin for me if I take it that far. 
And so we have to know from the Lord. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke. We'll come back to Matthew, but I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9. Read at the end of this chapter, starting in verse 57. Luke 9, 57. It came to pass that as he went in his way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, he calls him Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. Now here's a call. This is like the invitation of the Lord, right, in that parable. Follow me. Come. And he said unto another, follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury the dead. And in other words, he's not saying we shouldn't attend funerals or that it's not important. What was happening at this point, the Lord was calling the man at that moment, follow me. And he had something else that was hindering him from doing it. I say, well, it's a, what? it's a funeral of a loved one. It's important. It is important, but it's not the most important. The Lord was calling him then right? Follow me. And he says, let me first. He puts something else first, right? First. And the Lord says, let the dead bury the dead. He's saying the, the spiritually dead can, can bury the physically dead, but they can't preach the gospel like I'm calling you to do. Lord, let me first bury my father. And he said, let the dead bury the dead, but go, and, go thou and preach the kingdom of God. You know, the time to obey the Lord is when he's calling you. That's the time to obey the Lord. Then to this service, for example, if you haven't given your life to Christ, now's the day of salvation. It's not later. I'll think about it maybe later, or I'm kind of embarrassed. Or if God's calling you to this altar to pray and surrender something to him or seek him, the time to do it is now, not at some other more convenient time. And another said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me, what, first? Got something else I got to do first. Lord's making a point here. Go and let me go first, bid them farewell, which are at, at home at my house. Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's not being harsh. We said all these other things were un, not unimportant, they were some of them very important. He's not saying that those things weren't good and clean, he wasn't saying that they were immoral going to a funeral and so forth. He's saying they're not the most important. He's trying to make that point. It's a call of discipleship. They said, no, I call to come. Come and follow me. Go preach the gospel. And they said, no, I got to do something first. And the Lord turns to another, follow me. And he turns to another, follow me. Farms and merchandise. These men, and what we, did in the, what we just read, that's not a parable, by the way, what we just read in Luke. That wasn't a parable. That was real people. Real people. That they weren't ignorant of the Lord. They were unwilling. They were unwilling to part with certain things. They were unwilling to obey Christ first. They were unwilling to obey Christ above all, without hesitance, being hesitant. These men were actually putting other things first. Amen. Christ's disciples, which we're called to be, by the way. Nowhere do you read that the Lord just desires to make converts. 
Got a bunch of converts over there. He's, he's called, he makes disciples of men, and he calls us to make disciples of men. He calls us to be disciples of the Lord, right? As a learner and a follower. And Christ's disciples are not made up of half-hearted commitments. I think we gather that from the word of God. Christ's disciples are not made from half-hearted commitments or some kind of dreamy, sentimental feeling about following Jesus. It's real life. It's real obedience. It's really walking with God. It's really making choices. It's really separating ourselves as God would lead us and being quick to obey. Turn back to, to Matthew 22. Not speaking, I don't know that necessarily what Jesus was saying there to those in Luke was, so, was necessarily just for salvation. I think it's also, a call, you see a call of discipleship. I will follow you wherever you go, but first I got to do something else. If, a, if I'm God's servant and I have one master and one Lord that I serve, I'm a servant of the Lord, I'm a servant of the Most High God, then I can't be a servant of the Most High God and other interests. We have to have one that we follow. He'll, he'll put all those things in proper place. I say it all the time. You put Christ first, he'll make you the best uh, worker, parent, mother, father, husband, wife, grandparent. Uh, he, he'll do that. He'll see to that. And nothing will get left undone. He won't fall behind on anything and so forth. You're going to be right where you need to be if you put Christ first always and in everything. He will take care of that. So let's look back just real quickly at Matthew 22 in our parable at verse 6. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Again, I think uh, this, is, this is a persecution against the righteous, whether it's the Jewish prophets the, uh, that were sent to them or the church and certainly the grieving of the Holy Spirit. But the king's servants... Um, and the king and the king's son were all ready, right? Back to our parable in, in Matthew 22. And it was a joyful, inviting, and a joyful occasion. And men were honored, or should have been honored, to be part of it and be invited to it. And it's no different with us as, as lost men being called to come to Christ or as saved men called to follow Christ, Okay and to be his disciples. The Bible says that the, the king actually wanted them there. Okay? He wanted them there. He has made us, if we're in Christ, the Bible says join heirs with his son. What in the world? How and why would you make me a joint heir with the eternal son of God? But that's what the Bible says. It's your, good fa it's your heavenly father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He desires its goodness of God. He's a good God. He, he, he wants to lavish it upon us. What the Lord has promised us and what we have in Christ on God's part, think about it, is nothing but good. The only thing he really wants to take from us is our sin and our selfishness and rebellion. He wants to take that from us and give us the life of his son in place of that. 
nothing but a desire for good on the part of those he invited. I want to read this. Talking about the Lord's desire for us. The glorious feast. They were invited to the marriage of the king's son, right? There had been a big feast on this occasion. It's a glorious feast he has spread. The Lord has spread. And includes pardon of sin. And includes favor with God. Peace of conscience. The exceeding great and precious promises. Access to the throne of grace. The comforts of the spirit. The well-grounded assurance of eternal life. It's a feast inconceivable with delights. And it's accessible to every soul. I just wanted to read that because to think about, it's not that big deal when I die, I'm going to heaven. Okay. No, it's everything that Christ has for us that he desires to lavish upon us in this life and certainly in the life. They made light of it, and and that's what was promised, and that's what is promised to us in Christ. The Lord says, what what could have been done more? If everything's prepared and everything's ready, he says that in Isaiah 5, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, I pray thee, what could have been done more? On God's part, there's nothing more it could have been done. It's a, it's a call of mercy, if you want to look at it that way. It's a call from Almighty God to be merciful to sinners and say, I've got mercy for you. Come. I've got grace for you. I've got eternal life and on and on and on. You know, when Jesus was speaking in John chapter 5 to the Jews and he says that passage quoted a lot lately about search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. The next passage, next verse, he says, and you will not come unto me that you might have life. You won't. You won't. This is why he's weeping over Jerusalem. He's pleading. That's why he's given parables like we just were reading here today. That's why he gives us real life examples of the ones in Luke chapter 9 that we read about. No man having set his hand to the plow, you would not come. I think what a strange response to mercy. I'm guilty as well. I'm simply saying, what a strange response on sinful man's part, which is all men, to mercy. It's a call to mercy, and they would not. They would not come. On their part, there's a disdain. There's a disregard for the king and his son and his servants and his son's marriage. I'm going to bring this to to a close, but God sent his only begotten son The Bible says in Romans, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, to condemn sin in the flesh. Who did he do that for? Men. You and me and everybody that's out there, those that know the Lord and those that don't know the Lord. To condemn sin in the flesh. From his part, there's nothing but a desire for good. From his part, there's nothing but a desire for reconciliation. I don't think there's another religion. Every other religion is going to be false, but I don't think there's another religion where the goodness of God is so revealed as the true God. I'm glad this is my God. He doesn't just want some laborers. He doesn't just want some servants. He doesn't just want some martyrs. Uh, He wants us to come to himself. 
and to be with him. And we're being reconciled by the blood of his cross. And man's response to that is a rejection as a whole. They made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And that's what we see. And I think about, I'm bringing this to a close, but the things and the pursuits of this temporal world that men allow to keep them from heaven. It's almost comical if it wasn't so tragic. The things that men allow to keep them from eternal life. Hanging on to this, hanging on to a little trinket, a little trinket. And that hanging on to that little trinket is going to keep me from the bountiful blessings of Christ, which includes forgiveness of sins and eternal life and eternity in a new Jerusalem and a new heaven and earth with the Lord forever and ever. But the things that, that we allow to keep us from Christ. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? It's a rhetorical question because anybody, anybody would say nothing's, nothing's, uh, I wouldn't give anything in exchange for my eternal soul. But yet we do. People do. They give things in exchange for it all the time. And I want to, I want to point this to us because it's easy to point the finger at Israel. They rejected their Messiah when he came. They did as a whole. It's easy to point our finger at lost Christ haters and church haters and persecutors that are out there because they're out there persecuting the church right now. But it's not just the lost men and the Jews and the, the persecutors of the church. That, that give in to these temporal pleasures of this world. The Lord is speaking to us as well. There's a call upon our lives. Many in the church, we don't take heed to the Lord's call to come. We have a king, and our king is calling us to come and to follow me and worship me and serve me with your whole heart and be with me. And we don't always do it. We might do it partly. The temporal pleasures and pursuits, not all sinful, that we as the redeemed of the Lord allow to dictate our lives. We allow things, carnal things, to dictate our lives and consume our days and steal our hearts from the Lord. And what happens over time when we're, we're double-minded and divided and we become, we become double-minded, we become, uh, we come, become unstable, we become shallow, in our walk with the Lord. We become unmerciful. We become unloving. We become ineffective in our ministry for the Lord because we've become double-minded. We're trying to hang on to this, good things. We're allowing these good things to take precedent where they shouldn't, in places they shouldn't be. It's a big umbrella, y'all. It's a big umbrella. I'm seeking Christ first in his righteousness and everything else falls under that umbrella. And what he wants out is to be repented of and thrown out. And what remains is to be sanctified unto the Lord. If I'm doing sports with my kids, cheerleading with my kids, whatever, fishing trip, buying a new house, all those things are wonderful. Working hard, getting a new job, trying to uh, advance in my business, all those things are fine. 
They're not sinful in and of themselves, but don't let them become sinful. Don't let them take a place in your heart and life where they should not, where it's stealing our hearts away from the Lord. How we need the Lord to work in our lives, amen? We need the Lord to work in our lives. I'm just going to close with this, and D, you can come on up. The things that we allow, though, y'all, to, to strap us down and tie us down, cares of this life, good, but they're not eternal, good, but they're not the best, and the Lord is saying, I want the best for you, and the best for you is to fully follow me, and all through our lives, as Christians, you can think back when you got saved to now, it's a long time, I'm not preaching salvation necessarily, I'm preaching a call of duty a call of discipleship to follow the Lord and to follow him first and don't make light of it and neglect it. We may well make light of the things of God. We would never do it with our mouths, but we might in practice. We turn one to our farm and one to our merchandise. And the Lord's called us, amen. He's invited us to be a child of the king, a friend of the king, servant of the king called to be with the king he's bidding us to come amen he says all things are prepared all things are prepared come and the Lord's calling us this morning to come and serve him with all of our hearts so this altar is open this morning